thing as being too Jewish. Thank you very much. Shalom and welcome to the Two Jewish Radio Show with Rabbi Sam Cohen and Friends, a weekly serving of everything Jewish. We'll have a great hour together today of news, music, comedy, and conversation. In addition to our guest interview, we'll also have a visit from our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Please email your comments to us at twojewishradio18 at gmail.com or visit us on the web at twojewishradio.com. The opinions of the host and guests on Two Jewish are their own and not those of the radio station. Two Jewish is paid for by Two Jewish radio programs and podcasts, Tucson, Arizona. And now, here's Rabbi Sam Kohan and Two Jewish. Shalom. This is a tough time for Jews everywhere, as it is a brutal time for Israel and Israelis and for all who care about Israel and Jews and, frankly, for all civilization. The horrific war crimes perpetrated last week by Hamas, the evil terrorist group that brings shame to the world, shocked and horrified everyone on this earth who has a conscience and the ability to tell right from wrong. You have likely seen images, stories, and videos documenting the brutality and evil of the civilian slaughter perpetrated by Hamas and the Palestinian terrorist-posted social media showing terrorists murdering children and the elderly, killing children in front of their parents, then murdering the parents. There is no conceivable moral justification for these actions. This is not warfare. It is war crimes, documented so, literally crimes against humanity, an attack on all civilization. The people, and I use that word with regret, who did this are beyond redemption. They must be brought to justice. The deliberate targeting of civilians to abduct, kidnap them, and take them into a chaotic captivity in the hellholes of Gaza to rape, torture, commit murder, or beyond anything related to any conceivable effort to quote-unquote liberate anything. These Hamas Palestinian terrorists took three- and five-year-old children, Holocaust survivors, young women, of course, deliberately in order to threaten to do unspeakable things to them, and to do so, to use them as human shields, and isn't that a horrible phrase, and of course to try to protect themselves from justice for their war crimes. And some of their victims they have already murdered and dragged their naked bodies through the streets of Gaza as crowds shouted, Allahu Akbar, God is great, and recorded and posted the atrocities on social media. This was the worst pogrom since the Nazis, and as details of the heart-rending slaughter continue to emerge, it is inevitable that Hamas will reap the whirlwind that it so thoroughly deserves. Our prayers and thoughts are with the families of the murdered Israelis, Americans, and other nations' children who were so brutally massacred, with the thousands of wounded in hospitals now in Israel, with the desperate families and friends of those stolen from their lives by these evil terrorists. Let's talk politics for a moment, shall we? My friends, Gaza has not been occupied territory for over 18 years. 
Israel pulled out under then Prime Minister Ariel Sharon in 2005. 2005. It has provided electricity and water and sewage control in what little productive economic activity exists in that strip of land with two million people for nearly two decades. In exchange, the evil, and that word has never been more applicable than it is today, the evil dictators of Hamas, who mostly live in rich settings in Arab capitals far from Gaza, have focused all of the Iranian money and Qatarian money on murdering Jews. And those innocents of Gaza? Remember, Hamas was elected to lead them by the people of Gaza in 2006, before Hamas made itself the religious Islamist dictators of the place and have never again held elections. Perhaps the same innocent people that show up on all the Hamas videos, those innocents are the ones cheering while bloody naked corpses of women are dragged through their streets? Remember, too, that Hamas would likely be elected to power in the West Bank if the Palestinian Authority's Fatah faction had not suspended all elections ever since 2005. The Hamas Charter calls for the total destruction of the State of Israel and calls on its members to kill Jews everywhere in the world. That is, not only is Hamas a terrorist organization, but an anti-Semitic one dedicated to perpetrating genocide. There is no proper response to this but unqualified condemnation of Hamas and of any leader in the world, including our own political leaders, who do not join in that condemnation. While much of the shocked world mourned with Israel, it's notable who did not. The evil Vladimir Putin, the mullahs of Iran who paid for this, provided the weapons that perpetrated it, and likely trained and organized the mass murderers, and of course some Arab dictators. Well, their leaders are all pretty much dictators, aren't they? Including those working on improving relations with Israel. Oh, and who else failed to condemn it? Here at home, the morally empty Rashida Tlaib, who only did so when threatened with censure. Harvard University's president, who apparently can't tell right from wrong, and neither can the college student organizations around the U.S. who justify Hamas. There is never a justification for murdering babies and burning their bodies, for shooting people and then using their cell phones to send those photos to their loved ones. There is no justification. Never. Never. How dare anyone pretend that there can be? We pray for peace in every single Jewish religious service, and we do so multiple times. But in order for there to be peace, there must first be justice. Hamas and its terrorist sponsors and organizers must be brought to justice for their horrific, abominable crimes. Only then will there be peace. I have long noted that the people who end up suffering the worst from the Palestinian people's obsession with terrorism are the Palestinians themselves. This week that wasn't true. I'm quite sure, however, that it will soon again be so. Israel has been left with no choice but to destroy this evil that pretends to represent religion. It is a great tragedy 
But if civilization is to continue on this earth, it must be done. To play us in this morning on Two Jewish, here's a classic Israeli song from the Yom Kippur War 50 years ago. This evil was timed by its terrorist perpetrators to occur the day after that anniversary, and again to occur on a sacred Jewish festival. This particular song emerged from that conflict half a century ago, which threatened Israel's very existence. This Hamas attack does not do that, thank God, but it is the worst thing that has happened to Israel since then. This song is dedicated to those who fight the enemy, and its theme is, I promise you, my little girl, that this will be the last war. Animav tiachlach, yalda sheliktana, shezot tihyeh hamilchama ha'achrona. Animav tiachlach, yalda sheliktana, שזאת תהיה המלחמה האחרונה. אני מבטיח לך ילדה שלי קטנה שזאת תהיה המלחמה Thank <laughs> Thank you. 
בשם חופשי קרובים שבנפשם ומאודם החזירו רוח לחיים השיבו דם אני מבטיח לך ילדה שלי קטנה שזאת תהיה המלחמה That was Yehoram Gaon singing Hamilchama Ha'achrona, The Final War. Our guest on Two Jewish This Morning is Seth Fransman. He joins us from Jerusalem. He's the acting news editor and senior Middle East correspondent and analyst at the Jerusalem Post. He's the author of two books on war and terrorism. He's been on the Gaza border every day since this horrifying series of war crimes by Hamas was perpetrated. Seth joins us in just a moment here on Two Jewish. We are the soul of Tucson. We are your neighbors and friends. Our commitment to provide the very best relies on the finest products and services you, our community, has to offer. Together, we make Tucson thrive. When we win, you win. Casino del Sol. The soul of Tucson. Enterprise of the Pasquayaki tribe. This is Judaism offers everything you ever wanted to know about Judaism, but we're afraid to ask. Who is Abraham? What is the Torah? How long have Jews been around? What do Jews believe about life after death? In three fun, inexpensive, informative sessions, This is Judaism brings you the joy of Jewish life and learning. You'll study with Rabbi Sam Kohan and learn what Jewish values, spirituality, and community are all about. Plus, you can get a sample of delicious Jewish foods. Classes are at the Tucson JCC, the J, and are open to everyone, Jewish or not. Best of all, This is Judaism is completely free, but the learning is invaluable. Want to know what your new Jewish relatives are all about? Want your kids to understand Jewish heritage, history, and holidays? Want to try some delicious Jewish food? Then This Is Judaism is for you. There's no charge, but you must pre-register by calling 520-276-5675. Visit BeitSimchaTucson.org or email rabbi at BeitSimchaTucson.org. This Is Judaism is taught on three consecutive Sunday afternoons in September and October at the Tucson JCC. There's a free Zoom option, but registration is required. All classes are with Rabbi Sam Kohan. Remember, there's no obligation and registration is completely free for this wonderful introduction to Jewish life. Register for This Is Judaism by calling 520-276-5675. It's the most effective introduction to Jewish learning and life ever. For your very own entry or return to Judaism, visit BeitSimchaTucson.org or call 520-276-5675. We are delighted to welcome to Two Jewish our guest this morning. Seth J. Fransman is the acting news editor and senior Middle East correspondent and analyst at the Jerusalem Post. He has covered 
Wow, too many wars to talk about. Wars against ISIS, several Gaza wars, the conflict in Ukraine, refugee crises, past guest of two Jewish, and I'm supposed to say a friend of long standing, not an old friend these days. Um, welcome to, back to two Jewish. Um, you have seen uh, terrorists at work. You you have a book about it after ISIS, America, Iran, the struggle for the Middle East. You've written about Drone wars, pioneers, killing machines. You have a couple of, uh, I think, important books on exactly this kind of conflict. Um, you've been on the border of Gaza. Tell us what you see. Okay, well, basically on Saturday morning, around 8 in the morning, we were woken by sirens. The kids actually woke us up, and they said there's something going on with sirens. Well, I didn't think it was really possible. I mean, you know, why would there be sirens in Jerusalem? There's not usually sirens here. There's not usually rocket attacks in Jerusalem. So I went out to the balcony and I was just looking around and I thought I was looking around, looking up to see if I was going to see anything happening. There was a huge explosion above our heads somewhere. I mean, these interceptions can be a mile away, but there's you still see this huge explosion. So it was obvious that we were under attack and I began to scan the media and I saw I have a, I have an app that shows me all of the IDF, uh, what's happening. So I, I saw them that there had been, you know, 50 or 100 messages while we were asleep and they were all this other rocket fire. So I began to, you know, look into what's happening. I'm, I'm a, I'm a journalist. So I started to write an article looking in the Arabic media, seeing what they're saying. I saw that, I'm, I'm, you know, Hamas had announced this operation. So, we didn't know at the time, you know, the extent of it or, or how bad it was. I thought it's just rocket fire, probably. But when I started to drive towards the Gaza border, we had on the radio, there were people calling into the radio station saying, I'm so-and-so, I live, you know, here, and I have my relatives are on this kibbutz in the border, and I can't get in touch with them. Or my relative is in this kibbutz, and he said he's been shot, he's in his room, he's hiding in the safe room. He said, the terrorists are outside. Can you please, please get to him? It was just one call after another. Very similar stories. And I, I, there's about 20 communities on the Gaza border that's mostly Kibbutzim. Most of them are founded in the 50s, and they have about 19,000 overall residents in all of them. So there's about 800 in each one or so. Uh, there's also the big city of Sterot, which is there. Now, the, the people on the Kibbutzim, we, we now know they were all cut off because because they were being attacked, Hamas was murdering many of them. Hamas had basically attacked the fence around Gaza in 29 locations, and they had attacked IDF bases on the border as well as observation posts, and they had they had broken through from easily, and they had then attacked all of these communities one by one. Some of the communities have, I mean, they all supposed to have some sort of local security. Usually, someone who's a member of the community and a veteran who has a sidearm. In some communities, they were able to fight off the attackers, even though they were surrounded, uh, sometimes a little bit of assistance. But in many of the communities, they had very, they had no assistance. Uh, and in several of them, you know, they were totally conquered. The terrorists went house to house. They killed every single person that they could find. They burned the houses that they killed, that they couldn't get into. Uh, they massacred, uh, now we know at least a thousand civilians, probably more. We have they haven't all been counted, and they actually only about I think a third of the bodies have been identified. But when they've they've got most of the bodies, they just haven't identified them all. That which speaks to how how horrific this is. So um, I got to I got to the south. I've been I've covered wars there for a very long time, and you know we could tell it was a, a huge disaster was unfolding. 
we got to a junction near, uh, not so far from Gaza. It's a place called uh, near Yad Mordechai. It's, it's a set of... Uh, yeah, I've been there. It's a Holocaust survivor. Holocaust survivors named after Mordechai so, Adelevich, the hero yes, of the war. So I was on a junction, you know, near there. Obviously, the police and the army had done what they could to kind of close off these roads because it was a huge war zone, so they were closing off the roads to keep the public out. I mean, most of the public was fleeing, not going there. Although, to their credit, of course, uh, hundreds of thousands of Israelis were being called to the army. So as I got down there, every base had miles and miles of cars with people getting out to go to the, to go to the, to the, go to the flag and, and go to the army. But anyway, I got there and there was uh, a little, and a little police checkpoint, a few soldiers and a few journalists. And it was, I, I saw a car in the middle of the road on, on the median. And I didn't notice that it was suspicious at the beginning. It was only a little bit later that I noticed that next to the car, there was what looked like a sack or a sleeping bag, and it was actually a, a dead a dead body. It was apparently a, a terrorist that had shot up the car, and the victims of the shooting had been taken to hospital, but the the actual perpetrator was just left there. And and that was just the beginning of realizing how different this was from everything else. I mean, as, I, as you said, I'd covered a lot of wars. I'd covered the genocide against Yazidis in Sinjar, and this was the kind of level of what we were, what we were about to see. And over the next day, we saw you know, a lot more bodies along roads. It spoke to the fact that there was not even enough resources to, to pick them all up. And in fact, that's why, you know, almost a week later, they're, they're, they're still collecting bodies. They're still identifying people. They still don't know how many people are missing, who's dead. Uh, I mean, the extent of this is, people compare it to 9-11, but for Israel's small population, you know, we're talking 5, 9-11, or something, it's much it's much worse than anything the country has ever, ever faced in its history. And I, and I say that, with the knowledge of the 1948 war being a very bloody war, but I, I, I would say it's far worse than that. Yeah, it seems like quite likely the worst day in Israel's history um, without maybe quite the existential threat of the Yom Kippur War. We will talk much more with Seth Fransman about uh, not only what happened, but how this relates to the ISIS terror and the the general approach to terrorism in the Middle East. And we come back in a moment here on Too Jewish. Beit Simcha, the House of Joy, a wonderful Jewish synagogue in the Catalina foothills in northwest Tucson, celebrates a great array of services, classes, and events this fall. Established by caring, passionate congregants and me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, Beit Simcha is a vibrant, vital community that strives every day to serve God with joy. A progressive congregation, Northwest Tucson in the foothills, Beit Simcha is open to everyone throughout the metropolitan area, providing weekly Shabbat services, youth and adult education academy courses, social justice opportunities, outreach, and cultural Jewish programming. Join us in person for Shabbat services or come on Facebook Live. Go to our website, BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A-Tucson.org. We welcome members and guests. Call 520-276-5675. Religious school is open for school-aged children or grandchildren. Join us in our fabulous Hebrew school, bar and bat mitzvah programs, Torah Tykes experience, confirmation, and teen programs, all in a fun, relaxed setting with great Jewish learning. Go to BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A-Tucson.org to sign up. Beit Simcha's services, classes, and events are open to everyone. 
Friday night services are at 6.30 p.m. Saturday morning services are at 10 a.m. Preceded by Torah study at 9 a.m. You can find out all the details at BeitSimchaTucson.org. Our Facebook page is Beit Simcha Tucson, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A Tucson. And our services are available there, too. All of our Adult Education Academy classes are available live and on Zoom. You can access those through the website, BeitSimchaTucson.org. Our religious school is available there, too. For more information about Beit Simcha, to come to services, religious school, Torah Tykes programs, Bar and Bat Mitzvah, Confirmation, high school programs, and rich array of adult education academy courses, taught live and on Zoom, and all of our services in person and available on Facebook, go to BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A, Tucson.org, or call 520-276-5675. That's 520 520- 276-5675-BeitSimchaTucson.org. Join me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, in the most dynamic and fastest-growing Jewish congregation in all of Southern Arizona. If you have a question, comment, compliment, or criticism, Kvetcher Kfell, please email us at 2JewishRadio18 at gmail.com. That's T O O. Jewish Radio 18 at gmail.com or visit our website to jewishradio.com. You can hear all past and present shows through the website, streaming us from to jewishradio.com or downloading us from the Apple iTunes Store is very popular Jewish podcast, top 10 in America, according to Moment Magazine, over 200,000 downloads on Podbean and on Spotify. Post a rating, review to Jewish wherever you listen to us, those comments help. The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation, known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. The most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of southern Arizona, Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful, grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen, 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470. To speak to a family advisor at Evergreen, call 520-888-7470. We welcome our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Rabbi. We've been talking about Ukraine, which has been, of course, tremendously in the news for the last year and a half, and began to talk about the Jewish community. You mentioned... 
last week that the largest Jewish community center in the world is in Ukraine, a 40-story building with uh, hotels, restaurants, all kinds of stuff. Um, and we don't even, and that's not even the major Jewish city. Uh, it's not even in the most important Jewish cities that we think of. Having said that, the Jewish community of Ukraine goes back a really long time and has had some incredibly important figures um, and has experienced tremendous anti-Semitism at a number of points. Um, what, what can you trace for us about the Jewish history? Well, so one of the national heroes of Ukraine, to whom there are monuments and statues all over every big city, is a guy named... I was going to say Bogdan Khmelnytsky, but I'm probably not pronouncing Mielnitsky, it correctly. correct. And he was a notorious anti-Semite who sponsored pogroms and killed a lot of Jews. Now, why is he a national hero? Because his main killing was Russians to protect and preserve the independence of Ukraine. This is an old theme. This predates communism. It long predates Putin. It's like 17th century or something, right? I mean, it's a long time ago. Yes, but, I mean, the problem is really that Russia and Russian orthodoxy and Russian state institutions emerged from an entity called Kievan Rus, which was centered around Kyiv and was the earliest form of Russia. So... The Russians don't like admitting that they're really Ukrainians, and they have always tried to put Ukraine down by, for example, you know, the English expression, the Ukraine, which many Americans still say, is a put down because that means like the little place by the side. And that's not a country. The, the country is Ukraine, yeah. right? Yeah. So there is a very long and solid Jewish community. Uh, particularly Odessa, but Odessa is a relatively new city. It wasn't built till the end of the 18th century by Catherine the Great. Yeah. So its roots don't go that far back, but much of southern Ukraine was once called Scythia, and then it was part of the Greek Empire, the Pontic Greeks, whatever. Lots of people settled on the Black Sea coasts because uh, there were natural ports and it was fertile land and whatever. And among those people, certainly going back to the time of the Greeks and then the Byzantines and others, were Jews. It was an extension of the Mediterranean. And as we know, there were once Jews in every port city in the Mediterranean. And 10% of the Roman Empire was Jewish. So I don't know what percentage of Ukraine was Jewish back in the day. But my most recent visits there... When I've been in Kyiv in particular, and, and I ask how many Jews are there, the answer is always the same. It depends how you count. Officially, there's 60,000. Realistically, there's probably 600,000. Wow. So, you know, these are large Jewish communities, and there are many of them. And, in places and most Americans have never heard of, at least not before this war. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating how many new places we're learning about uh, for terrible reasons often. You know, mind you, this is after the Holocaust, which swept through Ukraine and uh, and war, of course, and many Jewish communities were completely wiped out, but not all. And this is after the number of years of Soviet control in which being Jewish was not something you talked about. It was you weren't allowed to learn and so on. It's it's such a, a fascinating thing to see um 
this country now very much in the news and people becoming aware of the significant Jewish community there. And so a lot of the so-called Ukrainian refugees are in fact Jewish refugees. And it's one reason Jews should be especially sensitive and welcoming to Ukrainian refugees. But a lot of people have chosen to stay. And, you know, occasionally from photos that my friends post, it looks like there's still shreds of a normal life in the big cities. Yeah. You know, may, there may be air raid sirens every once in a while, but it looks like, by and large, things are limping along. Tom, thanks so much. We will talk next week. I look forward to it. It's time now for our old Jewish joke of the week, Jewish humor, your Bubby and Zadie new, brought to you by Too Jewish as a public service. Shlomo, who is 75 years old, is walking along the road and he sees a frog in the gutter. He's shocked when the frog begins talking to him. The frog says, Old man, if you kiss me, I'll turn into a beautiful princess. I'll be yours forever. Shlomo bends down and puts the frog in his pocket and keeps walking. The frog croaks from inside the pocket. Hey, I don't think you heard me. I said if you kiss me, I turn into a beautiful princess. Shlomo takes the frog out and says, I heard you, I heard you. But at my age, I'd rather have a talking frog. That was the old Jewish joke of the week. Special feature of Two Jewish just for you. You should live and be well. And now a word of Torah. It's an old story and we know it well. God sees that wickedness and corruption have spread throughout the world and human beings are acting in ways that should have been predictable to an all-knowing deity. Lying, cheating, stealing, murdering, slandering... All the usual. In response, God decides to destroy the world in a great flood, rain falling for 40 days and nights, the whole of humanity drowned in a deluge. Only one man is chosen to survive the flood because, as the Torah tells us, he was righteous in his generation. Noah, Noach in Hebrew, is chosen to carry the banner of humanity to the next generation. Gathering his family about him, his three sons, their wives, and two of each animal, plus seven pairs of each kosher animal, so there's something to sacrifice to God if they make it. Noah constructs the ark, loads the boat, and goes not on a three-hour cruise, but one long enough to float away every trace of the depravity of humanity. Eventually, Noah sends out first a raven and finally a dove to see if the world is dry enough to land upon. The dove brings back that famous olive branch. They disembark from the ark, and life begins again. A great covenant is affirmed, the first and most enduring breed in human history. God agrees never again to destroy the earth by flood. Unfortunately, we don't agree to that collectively, an oversight we humans may pay for soon. We do agree in this story to abide by certain minimum standards of morality. It is truly a new beginning. In essence, God acknowledges that this new world will not be the Garden of Eden anymore, but it can be both physically and morally good and rich. Noah, we are told, was a righteous man in his generation, ish tzaddik bedorotav, which doesn't necessarily make him a righteous man in every generation. 
The Zohar, the great book of Jewish mysticism, explains that when Noah was told about the destruction of all humanity, he complied with God's command to build the ark and save his family and the animals, but he did not protest the destruction of humanity. Unlike Abraham or Moses, who argued vigorously with God against similar decrees, Noah goes along with the human destruction divinely decreed. He's good enough, but not really fully good. Perhaps for us, this sets a reasonable standard we can try to live up to. If we can't necessarily succeed in becoming fully righteous for all time, at least we can strive to be righteous in our own turbulent, perhaps degraded times. All that's required is that we try to be the best that we personally can be. Seek to do what's right, even when it seems easier to choose not to. If we can manage that and be only as good as Noah, we too might end up saving the world, which now, as then, appears to need a good deal of saving. When we come back on To Jewish in a Moment, our guest this morning, Seth Fransman, joins us from Jerusalem. He's an expert on terrorism in the Middle East, having covered a variety of horrible terror-led and fueled wars, including the rise and fall of ISIS. He's the acting news editor, senior Middle East correspondent, and analyst at the Jerusalem Post. In addition to his experience in Israel now, he will explore how this kind of horrible terrorism works and what might stop it. Find out when we come back in a moment on Two Jewish. We continue with our Two Jewish update on news of Jews around the world with commentary. It seems impossible to keep up with the news from Israel, which has been so challenging this past eight hard days. This morning, since we have such an extensive interview with Seth Fransman, who is on the scene in Jerusalem, we'll restrict ourselves to noting that all around the world, rallies and vigils and solidarity events are being held for Israel, including right here in Tucson. I wrote a multi-faith prayer for Israel under attack that was read by a number of religious leaders here, including myself at that rally here. I also attended a Major League Baseball playoff game in Phoenix last week, and before it began, they held a moment of silence in support of Israel. At another game, Alex Bregman, the Astros' Jewish third baseman, had a star of Israel on his cap in support of Israel. While there have been vile protests justifying Hamas in some countries and on some college campuses in America and elsewhere, in general, the world has come out in support of Israel and against the barbarous brutality of Hamas and its sponsors and supporters. In other news, in Egypt, a policeman shot and murdered two Israeli tourists and their Egyptian tour guide and wounded another Israeli before being arrested. It is believed that he did this as a show of support for Hamas. Israel immediately called on all Israeli tourists to leave Egypt. France's interior minister instituted a ban on all pro-Palestinian demonstrations in response to the over 100 local anti-Semitic incidents recorded since Hamas' murderous terrorist attacks in Israel. 
Gerald Darmanin said that given the context, such demonstrations in favor of the Palestinians are likely to generate disturbances to public order. He added that protest organizers would face arrest. Given the heightened anxiety among our Jewish community, especially with a worship-filled weekend on the horizon, Darmanin said in Paris, it's imperative to act. Authorities around the world have reported hate speech heard at pro-Palestinian rallies from Germany to Australia. In Sydney, some out of a group of a thousand were heard chanting, Gas the Jews, at a rally outside the city's famed opera house. I lived and worked in Sydney at one point and attended the opera house many times. It's shocking to hear that in a civilized country and a civilized city. But then, this is a week in which the shocking has become commonplace. And that's the two Jewish news of Jews around the world. The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation, known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. The most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of Southern Arizona, Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful, grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen, 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470. To speak to a family advisor at Evergreen, call 520-888-7470. We welcome back to Two Jewish. Our guest this morning, Seth Franzman, is in Israel. He's the acting news editor and senior Middle East correspondent and analyst for the Jerusalem Post. He has written two books about terrorism and wars in the Middle East, after ISIS, America, Iran, and the struggle for the Middle East, drone wars, pioneers, killing machines, artificial intelligence, and the battle for the future. Um, he is a, a friend for many years and has been in the midst of all of this and on the border with Gaza. Um, uh, this is nothing Israel has ever really experienced before. Rockets coming over, a few people dying, even the second that the Fada doesn't really compare to this. Um, what is the, what, you're, you're a journalist. What do you see in Israel that's different this time? Well, the, the country is in extreme shock. I mean, there is nothing open in Jerusalem. Most of the cities are, are feel like they're deserted. I mean, people, they're not deserted. People are at home. They're in their, they're in their safe room. They, 
their kids are at home. There's no school. There's a, there's the, the, the country is ground to a halt. There are no flights, very few flights leaving. Um, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have been called up to the army. Most of the leading politicians in the country and members of the Knesset have totally disappeared from the public life. They don't seem to appear at all. There doesn't seem to be actually be any actual leadership in Israel. I mean, there is, there is the army. I would say that the country, because it's been through this a lot of time, you know, a lot of things in Israel function very well without actually having people in charge. Like I went to the hospital in Ashkelon, the Barzillai Hospital. They had two, three hundred wounded the first day. I mean, this was this was a huge number that they that had been more than in the past, and the hospital was actually functioning perfectly fine. And huge numbers of volunteers had come for to give blood and bring food. So, for the country, it's pretty good at dealing with some of this stuff. But it's it's clear that there's a massive trauma, and I think you know we're only beginning to see the tip of the iceberg of what's happened. And it's not in. I think also there is a lot of concern that the north or Hezbollah is going to attack Israel as well, and I, and there is a sense that. It's, it's just going to have to focus a lot of energies on Hezbollah being a much stronger enemy than Hamas. And if Hamas, which is much weaker, was able to do this, I think a lot of people are actually wondering, you know, how the country will actually, uh, will actually deal with that. And that means that actually, unfortunately to say, this is not 1973 when Israel defeated the Egyptians and the Syrians in about a week and a half. This is a very different crisis and it's not entirely clear uh, how the country will get through this. I don't doubt that the, Average people can get through it. I think that it, the country appears to lack um, almost any, any almost any leadership at the top. And uh, I saw the president of Israel yesterday in Thoreau. I mean, he was very uh, very steadfast. He was there with the mayor of Thoreau and and many of the police commanders who had actually gone in there personally. Uh, they they went in there with handguns to fight terrorists who were better armed than them, and they were able to defeat the terrorists at the cost of of dozens of police. So it's uh, it's a very it's a very difficult one, certainly. You know, I can hear your kids in the background who now can't go to school, are stuck in the house with you. Uh, this is a, you know, a, I don't want to say a small, they sound cute, by the way, Seth, I have to tell you. Um, the effects on Israeli society, uh, how, how will this play out? Obviously, it stops the economy in so many ways. All the reserve is called up. There's going to be a huge impact, isn't there? Yeah, it's, look, it's a huge impact. But the Israeli society is a very strong society. It's an extremely unified society in some ways, despite it being a very divided, diverse society as well. But it's a very, it's a very complex country, and it's able to accept these type of strictures. I mean, Israel's a country that when there was COVID as well, people just mostly kind of accepted it for a while, and they, you know, at some point, they didn't. You know, could do everything, but they try, they both mostly kind of went along. Uh, they felt it's for the common good. And I, I tell you, I was on the Gaza border yesterday and still, there were literally, you know, thousands of people that had come down as volunteers to bring everything from food to diapers. There was even a guy who brought a, a food truck that he was cooking hamburgers for everyone there, for all the first responders. I mean, all, all this for free. And he was giving it away. There were hundreds of us there, you know, we were next to the hamburger stand and there were sirens all the time, so we were all cramming into the shelter, and the guy was picking the hammers under the rocket fire. He didn't come in. I mean, this country is, has an iron will, and it cannot be broken. It has, and I think, you know, kids are at home, and people will, will suffer, and they, 
we'll have to find some solutions at some point because you can't stay at home forever. But but that they that that's just the way they'll go about their business, and and eventually you know we'll see, of course, how long this conflict continues, and then you know normal life will have to return in some form or fashion. So a, a final question: um, you you witnessed both the. Uh, terrible rise of ISIS, the existence of the caliphate for a while, until the world changed its mind and crushed it. Is that going to happen to Hamas? I, unfortunately, I kind of think no, because what, what happened with ISIS is interesting. If we go back to June 2014, ISIS was seen as just another type of uh, Sunni insurgency in Iraq, and they I unfortunately remember exactly what happened. They went into Mosul in June, which is Iraq's second largest city. They expelled the Christians, and the first thing that they did is they sacked another small area called Camp Spike. And in Camp Spike, they killed more than a thousand uh, Iraqi cadets, who were, I think, mostly Shiites. Uh, they butchered them, and, you know, they put the videos online. They did the most horrible things, beheading these poor people and stuff. Now, no, at the time, basically, no one cared. And everyone said, well, Iraq is just a bloodbath. It's just, uh, it doesn't matter. Let's not go back there. Uh, there is unfortunately one well-known human rights uh, figure that actually praised ISIS and said that, quote, something like, well, it actually listened to the people, which is kind of bizarre because I don't know if listening to the people means you have to kill and exterminate others. Maybe you shouldn't listen to them. But anyway, <laughs> so it, it took until August for ISIS to attack Sinjar, and then ISIS was killing, you know, thousands of Yazidis, and there were 800,000 people fleeing, and then finally... You know, the Americans decided to, well, the bombing, ISIS was on the gate, was at the gates of the Kurdistan region, and in fact, the Kurds at the time, and, and the Kurds were fleeing, and, and it looked like their cities might fall as well. And there were airstrikes that stopped the ISIS guys quite close to the, some of these Kurdish cities, and I, I was there, I talked to a lot of the guys that were involved in the fight. Now, it took a long time for the Kurds and the Iraqi, the rest of the Iraq to get back to Mosul, and then it took nine months to retake the city, it had to be taken block by block. ISIS had put tunnels under most of the houses. It took a long time of thousands of casualties to root them out. And then uh, the Americans, who were supporting a different Kurdish group, but in Syria, was able to defeat them in Iraq. And Iraq had to be totally, uh, totally destroyed. I think all the civilians left, and the whole city was, you know, turned into something like you'd see out of the Second World War. So. ISIS was defeated, you know, to the point of 99%. They still exist. But, yes, it was, a, it was just an awful conflict. And uh, I don't think this will happen with Hamas. No one is going to say, okay, you know, everyone will, from Gaza will just leave and go to Egypt for, for a year and while Israel just commits them all out. And as I said in the, in the part of the program, I think Hamas leaders don't live in Gaza. They all relax somewhere else and they leave. So no one is going to deport them. I think the U.S. Secretary of State is flying to some place where he cannot see his move, like Doha had it this week. Um, there's no calls to have those guys uh, made to leave. So, unfortunately, Hamas enjoys a lot more impunity and respectability, apparently, than, than ISIS, and there is no international coalition against it yet. So, unless Israel can mobilize that kind of coalition, it does seem that it will continue to be seen as a terrorist group, but it will not be seen as a group that kind of, you know, whose leaders should all be put on trial and it should kind of, you know, not exist as a, as a group. The way you would do with, say, with a powerful mafia family or you would do with a criminal organization or, or the Nazi party. Seth, I want to thank you for an uh, uh, important visit here on 2Jewish and for helping us to understand 
kind of the some of the both worst and most complicated parts of this conflict. Stay safe. I, I know you're going down to the Gaza border all the time. Um, and uh, I, I hope we have a chance to talk under happier times. Where can people go to find out more about you, to find out more about your work? Well, they can Google my name, if they can figure out how to spell it. I think you, you put it on the radio program. Um, they can uh, find the books at Amazon, you know, or probably Simon & Schuster or the website. They can read The Drone Wars or After ISIS. They can order them. They can read my work at the Jerusalem Post. I also write for Breaking Defense. I, write, I just finished a piece today for... Uh, the Daily Beast. I write for I write for a bunch of publications, and so they'll they'll find the work out there. They can follow me on Twitter uh, or what's it called X now. Yeah, X. Right. right. So they can check it out. Check me out on Facebook. Or I'm pretty prolific. I have a YouTube channel. There's a, there's a lot of easy ways to find. There's a lot of you out there. Thanks so much. When we come back on Two Jewish, we'll hear about next week's guest. Get a final musical playout. We are the soul of Tucson. We are your neighbors and friends. Our commitment to provide the very best relies on the finest products and services you, our community, has to offer. Together, we make Tucson thrive. When we win, you win. Casino del Sol, the soul of Tucson. Enterprise of the Pasquayaki Tribe. Thanks for being here with us this morning on Too Jewish with me, Rabbi Sam Kohan. Join us next week when our guest will be Rabbi Andy Green. He was supposed to be on this week, but obviously circumstances changed. Rabbi Green recently completed the conversion of an entire community of Messianic Christians to Judaism led by their pastor in Sholo, Arizona. It's quite a story. Don't miss it. And please join us at Congregation Beit Simcha every Friday night for services in Oneg Shabbat at 6.30 p.m. Saturday morning to 9 a.m. Torah study, 10 a.m. services, Torah reading in Kiddush, live in person and on our Facebook page. Our play out this morning is another classic Yehoram Gaon song from Israel written by Effie Netzer with moving lyrics by Don Amagor. It's the Song of the Medic. A song to heroes who seek to save those who are wounded. My friends, may you have a Shavua Tov, a good week, a healthy week. In a week we pray profoundly of justice. <laughs> פתאום רעם ברק, אחד צעק פצוע, אני כבר בא, ענה לו החובש. עלינו על מוקש, צעק אז הפצוע, אני כאן לצדך, ענה לו החובש. ברד של אש ניתח, ברד כבד קטוע, מעבר לנהר, לגומי הרוכש, השאיר אותי כאן, ביקש אז... Sponsored by Two Jewish Radio Programs, Tucson, Arizona.